Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. We'll be looking at a few verses tonight. All right, and as our choir steps out, they've heard me preach before. I can't blame them. And, uh, and so uh, they're, they're stepping out. And also we've got, as, as you know, we've got a lot of things that go on during this time. Pastor Brandon's leading a class tonight. Uh, he's in there with his wife, Anita, and they're, you know, sharing things as they're leading through that Growing Kids God's Way, and they've had a good amount that are involved in that class. Uh, on Wednesday evenings, we've got, um, uh, of course, our kids' activities, our student activities. Uh, we've got folks who uh, are involved at, at different points who are writing cards, and they would love to have you participate. If you'd like to be a blessing to some folks, they do that uh, several Wednesday nights a month. Is that right, Brother Larry, if I got that right? There we go. So you can see Larry if you'd like to be more involved in, in that way. Of course, uh, we've got um, uh, prayer and, and otherwise things that are continuing to go on as well. So I'm thankful with all that going on that you're in here tonight that I got some faces to look at too. So, uh, so that's a blessing. So we're going to look, we're rounding out, we're, we're coming out of the pit uh, now with Joseph. You know, we teach a four-week series on trauma and trouble and triumph. About the third week, people start saying, can we get to the triumph? You know, finally, we're, we're ready to do that. So we're moving in that direction tonight. And so we've kind of got to get to the point that's going to get us there uh, this evening. We're continuing a series on Joseph, um, trauma, trouble, and triumph. And then tonight we come to week three, which I'm, I'm given three words that all start the same letter, to face, to forgive, and to forget. Uh, the, the pieces of that that we see in Joseph. Joseph's story is so uh, intricate and there's so many details, there's so much that we won't cover tonight. We're not going to cover uh, the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. We're not going to have time uh, to cover some of the ins and outs even of the Pharaoh's uh, dreams, but we kind of want to you know, talk about where we are coming to tonight and where we left off last time. Joseph had been thrown in prison from a false accusation from Potiphar's wife. And out of that, he is going to be in that situation for years to come. And having left, uh, he's gone from the pit to the prison and he hasn't yet made it to the palace. He is on his way there. I saw a quote Today, while uh, looking through some things in preparation, I, I thought this was a great quote to start off with. John Stott, many of you might know his name, Christian author, in his book, The Contemporary Christian, said this, not long before Margaretita Lansky died in 1988, she was a well-known secular humanist, in a moment of surprising candor in a television interview, this, uh, this novelist and secular humanist said this, listen to this, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. The Bible says that um, one of the most consistent things that the Lord does for us uh, is His forgiveness. Uh, we see this great truth stated in many different ways. I think of the phrase that, it, that God's mercies are new every morning. It's been said we're never more like God than when we forgive. We're never more like Satan than when we accuse, but we're never more like God than when we forgive. And, uh, and so if you want to think about kind of how we, uh, we get to a summarization of what's happened in the in-between, let's, let's have a few 
pictures. I'm a simple guy. I like pictures. I don't know about y'all, but let's, let's do this here, okay? So we had Joseph getting sold, you remember, to the Ishmaelites by his brothers. He was initially going to get killed, but Reuben bought him some time, and then Judah said, hey, we can make some money off of him. Let's sell him into slavery. And of course, the Ishmaelites take him down eventually into Egypt. He's sold. He ends up uh, being in Potiphar's home where he's scammed. And Potiphar's wife says, well, if you're not going to go along with what I want, I'll go ahead and make up something about you so uh, you can end up in prison. From there, uh, from a passage we won't have time to look at tonight, he's forgotten. Do you remember that while he's there in the prison, God's with him even there? The last verses that we looked at last week said that God's steadfast love was with Joseph even in the prison. And so Joseph starts not having dreams, but interpreting dreams. And God uses him in two men's life, a cupbearer and a baker. And when he manages to interpret uh, one young man's dream who is eventually restored to Pharaoh, he says, hey, you know how I just helped you out? Just do me one favor. Can you remember me? And he doesn't. Two years more in prison. You ever had that day you've come back and you realized I was supposed to call that person back last week? I was supposed to write that note or I was supposed to give this person an answer or this or that. You know, if, if, if you're married, you probably realize that more from your spouse than you do your own self, you know, remembering it. But you have times where you just think, boy, I really dropped the ball there. Imagine realizing two years later there was somebody in prison that you promised you wouldn't forget and they've spent two years in prison uh, because you failed to remember them. But Pharaoh, of course, has some dreams that he can't figure out how to interpret and it's then uh, that all of a sudden this person, the, the light dawns and they said, you know what, I did meet a guy in prison whom I can help you out and he seems to have some divine wisdom when it comes to dreams and you probably know the story of the scrawny, skinny cows that then are eating up the heavy cows and, and Pharaoh's thinking, what in the world uh, did I eat to start having these dreams? There must be something going on uh, that, that I'm supposed to learn from this. Of course, Joseph interprets the dreams. God gives him the ability to know not only is there going to be plenty coming up for the next seven years, but then there's going to be seven years of famine, right? And so we'd better get prepared and start putting things away uh, so that not only we'll be able to survive, but that Egypt will see um, a, a great amount of blessing in the sense of being prepared for this and profiting from it. And so Joseph's done all this. He's gone from the pit to the prison, and now he's making his way into the palace where Pharaoh, after doing this, doesn't say, great job, son, here's $20 and head back to the prison. No, he says, you need to be over uh, basically my kingdom. You're going to be second only to me. And so Joseph is empowered, and at the same time, he is uplifted from there. And he becomes a powerful man in Egypt. Now, several passages I'd like for us to see tonight, uh, and I'd like for you to look first at the first passage that's on your sheet this evening, Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. Chapter 41, we're going to read three verses uh, in this chapter. 50 through 52. Now, just to summarize again, there's been seven years of plenty. We are now about two years in uh, to, the, to the famine, or that's where we're going to come to here in just a moment. So this is around the time uh, where, where Joseph has been elevated, and then the years between that and when he's going to meet his brothers again and eventually his father, uh, he comes to a point where he is married. And we see this in verse 50, before the year of famine came... 
Two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Can we pray once more tonight before we continue in God's word? Father, not one of us walks through life without the need to forgive, to lean towards uh, a kind of moving forward and forgetting as best we can and leaving things to you and at times even facing difficult situations in order to have those things happen. And so, Father, would you use your word in our hearts and in our lives tonight uh, to bring forth fruit that we need, whether it's pain, trauma, difficulty, Uh, Whatever it might be, may we find hope in the way that Joseph moves towards resolution, that he faces the difficult circumstances in his life, and that ultimately what was once great pain will become a great blessing. And so, Lord, we thank you. We look to you. We ask for your help, as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. The first point that I have on your page tonight is forgiveness is relieving someone's offenses against us. So be real careful, you get that extra E in there. It's not reliving, but relieving. is relieving someone's offenses against us. Forgiveness is not always restoration or making things go back the way they once were. Oftentimes that can't be the case perfectly. But it is relieving your hold, your dominion over somebody else and letting go to say forgiveness is releasing the, the, the hold that I would have over you, the bitterness, the anger, whatever those things are, I'm releasing that to the Lord to, to deal with in any way, and I'm going to forgive. I'm going to try to uh, move past that. Um, a man named uh, Carl Menninger, who was a psychiatric um, uh, thinker, said that he believed that 75% of the people uh, in psychiatric wards during his time could walk out the door the next day if they truly believed they could have forgiveness in their life. That forgiveness is a powerful uh, thing, not only when we need to give it, but when we need to receive it. And so it becomes a necessary part of our lives. Forgiveness is relieving someone's offenses against us. And then the second thing in that first point, forgetting is moving past what has been done. Forgetting is moving past what has been done. Now, we would love to think we could just have holy amnesia, wouldn't we? we just completely forget. Maybe sometimes in our life we might be able to do that when there's been a wrong committed against us that if it wasn't terribly significant, we wouldn't even remember the details. May God, you know, make that so in our lives if we were in those circumstances. But often we can't forget in the way that we, you know, wouldn't remember. Uh, Corey Ten Boom, who uh, is well known to many of you, a uh, Holocaust survivor and Um, She and her family members were put into a concentration camp in World War II for helping to hide Jewish people who were fleeing from the Nazis. And many of you are familiar somewhat with her story. She talked about in her life, she had a struggle once where she just had the hardest time forgiving someone who had wronged her. And she just kept facing this, kept trying to forgive, kept trying to let go, just wasn't working. She felt like she wasn't making the progress that she wanted. And she said there was a Lutheran pastor that she went to talk to. And God gave this man just the exact words that she needed to hear. And as she talked to him and shared her problem, he looked over and he said, can you see out that window, the church bell? 
uh, that's there in the belfry of the church? And she said, yes. And he, he said, you know, like a lot of church bells, that's tied to a long rope. And so whenever we ring that bell, someone's pulling on that rope and that big bell is swinging back and forth and boom, boom. And he said, you know, something interesting happens when someone lets go of the rope, the bell doesn't freeze immediately. It continues to swing and it continues to sound for some time, but the sound gets less and less and less until it's finally silenced. And for us in our life, forgiving and forgetting is somewhat the same. It's not always an instantaneous moment where it's gone completely forever, but over time, God in his goodness makes the sound less and less and less. Joseph has two children, rather his wife does, you know. She, she has two children. Joseph, you know, gets to name them. And these are the names that he gives them. The firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Joseph grew up in a home where the wives that were in that home as they gave birth would name their children names that for the rest of their life would identify the pain that their mothers had had and how now I want my husband to love me. Now God has seen my affliction and how my husband doesn't love me. And again and again, there was pain identified in the birth of these children. What a tremendous point of character we see in Joseph that is he is able to have, you know, children that are born to, into his family. He says, God's been so good that he's made me forget. He's made me be able to move past. As we continue to read on, he hasn't forgotten who his brothers are. He hasn't forgotten what they've done to him. What he has been able to do is move forward and to keep going and to not dwell and, and uh, be eaten up with bitterness. God has caused me to forget uh, all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. I wonder how many times Joseph wondered how long he would survive his time. You remember um, some of you in here might, might have seen Charlton Heston's Ben-Hur, you know, before? Remember Ben-Hur being chained to the rows of that, or the oars of that ship made to row, and that Roman centurion who comes through the ship and says, what's your name, number 41? And he tells him, you know, and, and he says, uh, how long have you been in the galleys here? And he said, three years. And he said, three years. Most men don't live that long in the galley. And he goes on to say, hate keeps men alive. And Charlton Heston, his character, leans on that hatred to get back so that he can see Marcella again, that Roman soldier who chained him to that oar, and he tried to get his revenge, and hate was what kept him alive. Hatred wasn't what kept Joseph going, and in the long term, hatred won't keep any of us going. It's the forgiveness that he already has in his heart, in his heart to leave things that he can't control to the Lord uh, that yields him a great blessing. Joseph is in a situation where he's been married off to a foreign, woman, a foreign woman in a foreign country. He is the only person, as far as we can tell, who believes in the God of the Bible in that entire nation. He's standing alone. And in that, even there, he's able to say that God has been good and God has blessed him. And so forgiveness is relieving someone's offenses against us. Forgetting is moving past what has been done. Now, it's sort of a piece of maybe information. There's five types of forgiveness shown in the Bible. I think that's kind of helpful for us to think about as well. I've given two of them kind of in the first grouping. 
Uh, there's judicial forgiveness. Let's see if I've got this list here. There we go. There's judicial forgiveness. You, you think about a verse like Psalm 103:12, where it talks about the fact that when God has forgiven us, he's placed our sins as far away as the east is from the west. If you've ever gone through the Roman road with a child or with a friend, and starting with the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that the, rage, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you walk through there, you, you get to this place where God judicially with us, ultimately we find our forgiveness in what Christ has done in our place. And there is a judicial relationship we have uh, with the Lord. And also at the same time, there is a paternal relationship we have with the Lord. Aren't you thankful that we don't hope to spend eternity with primarily our judge. We're going to spend eternity with our father. Abba, that, that, or Abba, that, that word in the New Testament literally translates as dad or daddy, that, that's familiar uh, father that we will be with. And so judicial, but also paternal. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The faithfulness and the forgiveness of the Lord tied together. And so we see this great reality that while it's hard for us sometimes to forgive others, or perhaps it's hard for others to forgive us, thankfully it's never difficult for the Lord to forgive His children when they come to Him. If we come in the way that God's called us to, His forgiveness is readily available to us. Now, really the, the, probably the main thrust of what we would think of out of these five would be our, our personal uh, forgiveness, the per forgiveness that we would give one another. The horizontal element here, right? There's the, there's the vertical side between our interaction between God and us, but horizontally that we're called personally to forgive those in our life, uh, friends, family, neighbors, whoever it might be, extending forgiveness. Luke chapter 17, one of those verses that just says clearly that, that in essence, as God has forgiven us, we ought also to forgive one another, uh, that we need to be the kind of people who are looking not only to want God's forgiveness in our life, uh, but willing to forgive others. There's a social forgiveness, and this was sometimes judicial in Jesus' day. You remember in John 8, the woman who's caught in adultery and brought then before the crowd for them to stone her? Uh, I still have never figured out what happened to that man, you know, why, why he wasn't brought out there. Uh, for, you know, he, was, he was guilty as well, but for whatever reason, she was the only one brought out there in John 8. And so you have this way in which uh, there was forgiveness that was needed for her from society, from the law that was there. Jesus ultimately extends that to her. Uh, but we have a forgiveness at times that's needed uh, from others, whether that would be um, in, a, in a legal situation uh, or whether socially in some other setting where in a, in a community or somewhere we were involved uh, to receive forgiveness out of something that would, that would be needed, that would be public enough to maintain that. Sort of right along with that, the Bible talks about ecclesiastical, if you want a fancy word, or just church, if you just want a regular word, the assembly of believers, the idea that there are times where folks need to be forgiven. Uh, at times, there's, folks need to be rebuked and, and confronted, uh, and other times to receive forgiveness. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that every single thing we do wrong doesn't have to be a matter brought before the church for everybody to forgive us. And so this doesn't, you know, this, this, I remember hearing stories about 150 years ago when people weren't at church the previous Sunday, they had to get up and stand up in front of everybody and say why they weren't there. 
Uh, you know, we might spend half our service doing that if we started, you know, that. Aren't you thankful you don't have to do that? But we're, we're, we're not called publicly to have to deal with everything, but there are times uh, in the life of a church where, where that could be necessary for some amount of a public forgiveness, a public restoration uh, to be given. And so we see all of those types in the Bible. Really, most of what we deal with in our life from a personal level and with other people is the third one here, personal forgiveness. And that's a lot of what is discussed uh, tonight. I, I think that Joseph's interaction with his brothers also indicates that there is something vertically happening with how God is dealing with them as well. Because what we're going to see is they show up in Egypt and they haven't had a rosy few years and their conscience is not clean. And every negative thing that happens to them, they go right back and go, I know why this is happening to us because of what we did. And we'll see that in just a moment. Now, if you would look at uh, chapter uh, 42. Well, I tell you what, I see here on my page, I've already mentioned chapter 41. Let me give you number three as well. Joseph had released himself from his pain. Joseph had released himself from his pain. That he had allowed himself to move forward. That's sometimes the hardest part, isn't it? is that if we're not careful, everybody else will be ready for us to move forward, and every other circumstance is lined up, but we're the ones holding ourselves back. There's a story told about a young boy who had just gotten a slingshot as a kid, you know, some years back, and uh, some of y'all might have grown up with a slingshot. For me, I think the slingshot of my era was a BB gun. Uh, I had a BB gun that was so bad you could see the BB coming out, and sometimes it wouldn't even go through the milk carton that you were aiming at. You know, I had a not very powerful BB gun. I've been shot a couple times with more powerful BB guns, and that'll wake you up. But, uh, but, but you might remember what it's like to have a slingshot. This little boy got a slingshot, and right away he did what most little boys do without thinking a whole lot, just started shooting at everything he could. And, of course, he found out if he tried to aim at anything, there was no way he was going to hit it. The only thing he could hit were the things he wasn't aiming at. And all of a sudden, when he pulled that slingshot uh, back and, and tried to hit whatever tree he was aiming at, the stone went out and knocked his grandmother's duck, her, her pet duck outside, right in the head. And of course, that, that was the end of that duck's life. A stone hit it, you know, just right. And he thought, oh, no. What am I going to do? Well, the, he had an older sister. And that older sister saw what had happened. And she said, I can use this. She said, don't worry, I won't tell grandma, but you owe me. So once inside, they ate dinner together, and the grandmother looked over at Sally, the older sister, and she said, Sally, why don't you help me wash the dishes tonight? <laughs> Sally looked over and said, you know what, Billy said he really wanted to wash the dishes tonight. <laughs> and she looked over at Billy and whispered, remember the duck. <laughs> and he hung his head and started washing dishes. He got done with that, and then the grandmother said, you know what, Sally, since you didn't have to wash the dishes, I'd love it if you'd sweep the floor. Sally said, you know, what was so wild was that Billy said he also wanted to sweep the floor tonight. And she looked over at Billy and said, remember the duck. This went on for about two days. Every time Sally had a chore, she would say, you know what, I heard Billy really wanted to do that. He would hang his head, go along with it, till finally he went up to the grandmother and he said, fine. I shot the duck with a slingshot, and he's dead. I'm sorry. The grandmother looked at him and said, Billy, I was looking out the window two days ago when you did that, and I've been wondering how long you were going to let Sally keep you in slavery. 
And that rings true for us, doesn't it? Sometimes when we won't let others keep us in slavery, we'll allow ourselves, we'll allow Satan to just keep us bonded and chained, uh, bound and chained for, for things that God's already let go of, things he's already placed as far as the east is from the west. Sometimes there's either, even others that'll forgive us, and if we're not careful, we won't forgive ourselves for things that everybody else has already forgiven us for. We've got to be willing to let go and to trust that the Lord's grace is big enough, his forgiveness is big enough. Joseph had released himself from his pain. He didn't need to be forgiven, uh, but he needed to forgive others, and he was willing to let go. Now, let's look at chapter 42, verses 8 through 13. Some of you know the story that as Joseph, from the best we can tell from the math here, when he was sold into slavery, he was around 17 years of age, now standing at 39 years of age in Pharaoh's household, he is going to see his brothers for the first time in something like 22 years. He has had no photographs, he has had no social media posts, he has had no videos, he has had nothing but the fading image of their faces in his mind for over 20 years. And he's about to face the most difficult circumstance of his life on a random Tuesday when he's not expecting it. I'm just kidding. We don't know it's Tuesday, but go with me here. <laughs> they come to Egypt looking for food, and we pick it up in verse 8. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Now, I find that interesting, and I wonder why. Now, he had reached a full adulthood at this point. When I show my kids pictures of when I was 18, they say, that's you? And, uh, and, and maybe, that's, you know, maybe that's what's happening. Maybe Joseph looks different enough just because he's a full adult now. Um, also, you've probably heard of circumstances in time where men come back from war or difficult circumstances are faced. I remember uh, missionary Adoniram Judson, when it talked about some of the ways in which he was imprisoned, his own wife didn't recognize him when she saw him, you know, some months later, that Joseph's been through the kind of trauma and difficulty that he may look very different even from the difficulty of his road. I also have to wonder if you've ever seen those uh, sarcophagus, like with uh, King Tut, if they had those, maybe he had that black eye shadow on too, since he'd been in Egypt so long, maybe that's why they didn't recognize him. We don't know. He's, of course, going to be speaking in Egyptian language, but he knows who they are. His, their faces have been burned into his mind for so long that he knows exactly who they are when they come in. But they don't know him. Verse 9, And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. You ever had something you put out of your mind for a long time and then it just comes screaming back in? wonder how many times Joseph had forgotten that dream he had of those stalks of wheat, you know, bowing down and then the moon and the stars and uh, the stars bowing down. Yeah, I wonder how many times he'd put that out of his mind and all of a sudden they show back up and said, oh, I guess that did mean something 22 years ago when I had that dream. I can see how this is moving in that direction. And he said to his brothers, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. And he said to them, 
No, it is the nakedness of the land that you've come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. One is no more. You know, nobody, ever else, nobody else ever feels our pain the way that we do, right? The way that Joseph's brothers summarized the last 22 years of his life, not knowing what had ever happened to him, summarized the selling, the scamming, the imprisoning, is no more. All the cold, lonely nights on a stone or dirt floor in a prison Summarized quickly just with the phrase is no more. They didn't understand what in the world he had been through and nor did they even think that he was probably still alive at that point. But Joseph has to face his brothers. You ever been in a situation where you said, Lord, I was good. I was moved on. Why would I have to circle back to this thing again? And Joseph did. He may have woke up that morning saying, you know what? I hadn't felt this good in a long time. And all of a sudden, who walks in? I think sometimes when you learn this as a kid in Sunday school, I, I think I got the impression that maybe Joseph was glad when his brothers came in and he said, now's my chance finally. I don't think that's how it was. I think his heart started beating out of his chest probably. And he was trying to remember the Egyptian words that he had learned over the last 22 years and speak as boldly and as cleanly as he could. He's speaking through an interpreter, we'll find out later. So they don't think in any way that he's their brother. And Joseph speaks to them and they begin to give their case. Wonder what it was like for Joseph to hear his brothers say, we are all honest men. Whew. Heard somebody say one time, how many lies does somebody have to tell before they become a liar? You start to think and you say, well, I don't know exactly how many. Well, if you ask the follow-up question, how many murders does somebody have to commit before they become a murderer? The answer is one. And we don't know how many other lies these brothers had ever told, but Joseph knows they're not honest because of one lie that's continued. We're all sons of one man. We are honest men. You know, number four, with forgiving and forgetting comes facing our pain. With forgetting and forgiving comes facing our pain. Joseph was able to move forward. He was able to forgive. He was able to forget in some sense. But that wasn't the end of the story. I heard a sermon recently that uh, the chair of our deacons, Ed Ellis, had sent me by Vody Bauckham about Joseph. A wonderful sermon. And he, he made the point that God's ultimate goal wasn't so that Joseph could say, since you were bad and I was good, God's put you into famine and tough situation. He's given me prosperity and wonderful wealth. Look at me. Aren't I prosperous now and God's been with me? The goal of this story wasn't so that Joseph would be rich or powerful. But the goal of this story was so that we'd ultimately see that God's redemption, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and God's plan are greater than the most uh, rich and, and, and full evil that could ever come against us. Aren't you glad that no matter what strength would ever be uh, united against us, you know, whoever would want to come against us, they cannot supplant the plan that God has. And so Joseph's going to be able to say what you intended for evil, God intended for good. He sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Imagine if the 
pain that you're carrying today, if there is any, and, and, and some folks in here, if you're carrying any pain, imagine if God's got great purposes for that pain. And that ultimately, you'll be able to look back someday to say, I can see how God was moving. Uh, and it may not be until eternity when we stand before the Lord and say, oh, okay, now I see why wow, some things were being connected there. Uh, but walking through pain, sometimes the last thing we want to do uh, is to face that pain. Joseph standing here with his brothers uh, and having to do that. And so they come in, they give their plea that we're honest men. Joseph, you know, maybe rolls his eyes at that point and just continues. Some of you know the story that back and forth, you know, Joseph's going to be strategically, uh, we could maybe say punishing his brothers to some extent, but he, through God's design, is creating an atmosphere where his brothers are going to have to be forced to reckon with what they've done and also to continue to interact with him because he wants an avenue not only to see Benjamin, but ultimately to see uh, his father, but also to bring about a point where these men are willing to, uh, to, to be redeemed, to be forgiven. And so we're going to see that especially next week. Uh, but I'd like for you to look at the last passage we have tonight, chapter 42. We're going to begin with verse 19. Chapter 42, beginning with verse 19. Joseph really wants to see his brother Benjamin, who also was born from his mother, Rachel. And so that's the only full brother that Joseph has. And so he says, uh, you know, I want you to go back. You're going to leave Simeon with me. And if you'll do that, then uh, you can come back and I'll give you Simeon back if you'll let me see your youngest uh, brother. And so anyway, we pick the story up here with verse 19. This is what Joseph says. If you are honest men... Let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and, when we, did not, and we did not listen. And that's why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. And then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, replace every man's money in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey, and this was done for them. Now, what we don't know for sure is why Simeon stayed behind. I have to wonder whether Simeon might have been the lead person that at one time was going after Joseph. What we also know from Genesis chapter 24 was that when Leah's daughter, Dinah, was defiled, Simeon and uh, Levi were the two who murdered in practically the entire tribe who had done that to her. So Simeon and Levi weren't to be messed with. Simeon might have been the bully of the group. And so perhaps Joseph chose him, perhaps the brothers chose him, perhaps Reuben looked over and what we don't get from the scripture that he might have said was to say, well, you're the one that got us into this mess, you're the one that's going to sit here in this jail cell. I don't know. That's guesswork at this point. But what they do is they have a conversation immediately, 22 years later, 22 years. I don't know if you're still holding on to anything from 22 years ago. 
I got a, I got a notification on my phone today. Every once in a while, uh, Facebook sends me these little, here's what you were doing 15 years ago kind of things. Y'all ever get those? 12 years ago today, we rearranged the furniture in our living room so my two-year-old daughter wouldn't jump over the banister and down the stairs. I didn't remember that, but apparently that happened 12 years ago today. I'd made some note about that on Facebook. Add another 10 years to that, and that's what these, uh, these men have been carrying. 22 years where when something wrong happens in their life, they go, we know why this is happening, because of this one moment. You know, vengeance... And vindication tries to sell itself to us to say, if you'll just take out your anger on this person, boy, you'll just feel so good. And when we read this passage, we see that not only has Joseph been tortured and alone for the last 22 years, all these guys have been tortured and alone one by one. That the lies Satan sold them to say, if you'll just do this to him, all your problems will be solved. No, their problems have just started. They've been carrying the guilt ever since. Number five, unresolved pain is something we can't outrun. Unresolved pain is something we can't outrun. God was bringing about in the lives of these brothers a situation where they were going to have to face what they had done. And at this point, they're still like Jonah on the boat saying, well, maybe let's try this or let's try that. And eventually they're going to reach the point where they're going to have to say, you're going to have to throw me overboard. It was our fault. And we'll see that as we come up to next week. But unresolved pain is something that we can't outrun. You know, for you and for I, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that we see Joseph speaking with his brothers in this way. But you know what we also see is him doing what? Weeping. That when he hears the fact that they've been carrying this for so long as well, when he recognizes that all the pain he's still carrying is something that also is affecting them, he weeps. But he's not done testing them and moving towards what he has for them. I, I also was blessed this, uh, this week to read the story of a man who was really uh, moved, a, a seminary student who was really moved by a man named Erasmus. Erasmus was a monk in uh, the 15th century, the 16th century who helped to translate the Bible, much of the manuscripts we have of the New Testament, uh, the, the, the ways in which those were used to bring about translations of the Bible, Erasmus was one of those who was really influential during that time. Uh, and so Erasmus came to England, and while he was at Cambridge, he had a really profound impact uh, on a student there who saw that he really believed what he lived out, or what, 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 he, what he claimed to believe he really lived out, and it impacted him in a big way. Erasmus had just translated the New Testament into Latin, which was a big deal for them because at the time they hadn't gotten a chance to read anything but Greek, which they didn't know very well. They hadn't quite made it to an English Bible in, in everywhere yet, but uh, this, this seminary student read Erasmus's New Testament in Latin. And this is what he said about the influence of Erasmus in his life and also the influence of being able to read more clearly the words of Jesus in the Bible. He said, my soul was sick and I longed for peace, but nowhere could I find it. I went to the priests and they appointed me penances and pilgrimages, yet by these things my soul was not set free. But at last I heard of Jesus. It was then when first the New Testament was set forth by Erasmus that the light came. 
I bought the book being drawn by the Latin rather than by the word of God, for at that time I did not know the word of God. But on my first reading, I chanced upon these words. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And this one sentence, through God's inward working, did so light up my poor bruised spirit that the very bones within me leapt for joy and gladness. It was as if after a long, dark night, day had suddenly broke. God's working of forgiveness and restoration in our relationships, in our areas of pain, His working of uh, walking us through circumstances that are difficult that may not involve uh, forgiveness but may just simply be difficult, that God's work and, and Christ's truth poured into that for each one of us is always moving us towards day breaking into the darkness of what we walk through. Aren't you thankful? God doesn't leave us where we are. And He's at work. He knows what He's doing. So what I encourage you tonight, if there's areas where you're holding on to stuff that you need to let go of and put in the Lord's hands and say, God, I don't even know what to do other than let go of the rope and just hope that the bell will stop resounding quite so loud and over time I can see you uh, take what I've, I've kept holding on to. Maybe you need to release something to the Lord tonight. I want to invite you to do that. Maybe there's somebody to have a tough conversation with or otherwise somehow something to be worked through. I want to invite you uh, just to spend some time with the Lord to say, Lord, how would you use uh, your word? But however God's calling each one of us tonight, may we be faithful to see the words of the Lord Jesus that set us free and draw us into daybreak where once there was only darkness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that even in difficult circumstances, you are there. And even our pain often is something that you are using to bring about good things. And sometimes the tough road leads to daybreak. So, Father, however we need to be encouraged by the words of the Lord Jesus, by Joseph's story, by the truth of who you are and that you love us and that you forgive us for more than we could ever forgive someone else. I pray tonight that you would use your words, your truth, your hope in our hearts and lives. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.